The Ford F-150 truck drives smart design forward. The standard 12-inch productivity screen helps you get what you need done too. And the available Pro-Access tailgate improves access to bed and cargo and utilization of the bed, including when towing a trailer. Together with a wider bumper step, it's easier to access the bed and load in tight spaces. An available Pro Power onboard serves as a mobile power source, providing up to 7.2 kilowatts of power to charge a bed full of electric dirt bikes or run an entire job site worth of tools. I'm still driving my 2016 F-150 truck and 90,000 miles in. As long as I keep it clean, it honestly still looks brand new. I've taken it down snow-covered forest service roads, taken it out camping, put a ton of miles on it on the freeway, had five adults in the cabin for long trips, and it's been great everywhere. Super dependable. I still love the way it looks, nice and rugged design, but with a super comfortable interior, and I'm still very happy with the quality sound system and heated seats, and since I bought my 2016 F-150 truck, the list of standard amenities that make a truck feel like a luxury vehicle have only grown. Tough this smart can only be called F-150. Find your local Ford dealer at Ford.com. Pro access tailgate available starting spring 2024. See owner's manual for important operating instructions. Life is inherently hard. Best case, we witness numerous loved ones, friends, and acquaintances die. Best case, we also die ourselves. And before we die, we're going to struggle. For sure. Only the amount varies. But we're all going to suffer some through, through some days, weeks, months, or even years when it feels like the world is against us, when it feels like the world is out to get us. Statistically, we're going to get real sick, break a bone or two, uh, go through a brutal divorce or several, have our parents go through a brutal divorce or several, go bankrupt, get our hearts broken, have our fantastic life plan all perfectly put together, completely fall apart or blow up in our faces. This is all part of the human condition. And you can probably relate to one or several of those experiences. You should expect a fair amount of tragedy. It's probably coming. But most of us at least get to face the indignities of life with full use of our senses, with all four of our limbs. Most of us get to what seems to be a fighter's chance at victory. Most of us are equipped with the mental and physical tools to at least live life to the fullest when the chips aren't down. But what if that wasn't the case? What if best case turns to worst case and you get dealt far more than your fair share of bullshit to overcome? What if unimaginable tragedy strikes you? Something so terrible you never even considered it as a possibility of some shit you would ever have to deal with. One day you're fine, and then the next you've lost an arm, maybe lost a leg, maybe both, maybe more. One of today's two tales of triumph over tragedy involves a woman who lost both her hands, suffered severe crippling wounds to both her legs when a bomb she held exploded. The other story involves a man who lost both arms, both legs, and a significant part of his face when an initially seemingly harmless infection brutally ravaged his body and nearly killed him. What would you do if this happened to you? Would you give up? Would you want to die? How big would the problems and concerns you had before suddenly seem now? Today, we dig into two tales of horrific tragedy and then the inspiring part. How both of today's victims chose not to remain victims and instead overcame their misfortune to live lives more fulfilling than the ones they'd lived before. Sometimes we need to hear about someone who has gone through more than we have in order to put our problems into perspective. If Malvika Ayer and Alex Lewis can overcome what they've been through, odds are you can too. The human spirit is strong, meat sack so fucking strong. Be reminded of that in a special holiday edition of Time Suck. You're listening to Time Suck. 
holidays, Meat Sacks. Merry Christmas, Christian and Christmas celebrating suckers. Happy Hanukkah, Jewish suckers. Happy Yule to those who worship the Norse gods. May Odin smile upon you. Happy Kwanzaa, African-American suckers who choose to celebrate that tradition. And greetings to everyone I've missed. Merry Christmas Eve if you're listening to this when it drops. I'm Dan Cummins, the master sucker, and you are listening to Time Suck. Welcome to the Cult of the Curious, you sweet, beautiful inquisitor of knowledge. May Nimrod, uh, Lucifina, and Bojangles bless your end of 2018. May sweet, sweet Triple M serenade you with some holiday cheer. Uh, Michael motherfucking McDonald does have a new 2018 holiday album, by the way, called Season of Peace, the Christmas Collection. Maybe throw that on if you need a little extra cheer, you know? Has a couple little ditties like, uh, Have yourself a merry little Christmas. Make the season bright. From now on, your troubles will be out of sight. Have yourself a merry little Christmas. Make the Yuletide gay. From now on, our troubles will be far away. Have yourself a merry little Christmas day. You're fucking welcome. Yes. Hope you keep thinking about that when you're spending time with your families. I hope you're like, God, I just, I got to get it out of my head. Maybe like I picture you in the bathroom, just kind of like for some reason, putting soap in both ears, just get it out. And then suddenly when you think you have it out, a merry little Christmas day. Oh, no. All right. That's over now. Thanks again for the continued reviews. Uh, You suckers keep talking about time suck and more people keep listening. I love how that works. Uh, very appreciative, very appreciative. Added a couple Texas dates to the tour for next year. Uh, I wasn't worried I was going to be able to fit Texas in. This is a happy murder tour, stand-up dates in 2019. Uh, I, I, a lot of more people from Texas wrote in than any other place being like, dude, what the fuck? Uh, yeah, I had a great time there in Dallas and Houston and San Antonio uh, in uh, in 2018. Going to make it back to at least uh, uh, Dallas and, H- and Houston. Dallas and Houston looking real, uh, we got dates now. April 26th, April 27th, going to be back at the Texas Theater in Dallas, back at the secret group in Houston. Hell yes. Those shows were fun. Uh, let's make them even better. And the, and the secret uh, group, not a not a big venue. That one sold out last time a little bit in advance, so don't wait on that. Don't wait on either. Don't wait on any of them. Don't wait. Uh, but tons of dates up at DanCummins.tv. First show is going to be in Providence, Rhode Island, at the Comedy Connection, then at the Stress Factory in Bridgeport, Connecticut, uh, Funny Bone in Albany, New York, Back to another stress factory in New Brunswick, New Jersey. Show, uh, showing the East East Coast some love. Show me some love back, you you fucking dirty, dirty bastards. Let's do it. Uh, Lucifina's presence, strong in the new material, coming hard in 2019. Uh, a lot in the world to be angry about, but I'm not mad about you meat sacks. Not one bit. And I'm not bad about uh, today's uh, today's topic. Uh, it's very inspiring. Teared up, not going to lie to you. Teared up uh, a few times researching this stuff. Told Lindsay about the episode. And uh, she started crying in the kitchen. So get your fucking tissues ready. Uh, it's time for some tragedy. Time for some triumph. It's time to suck. Four hundred and fifty kilometers, just over three hundred miles from New Delhi, 
uh, the capital of India. Roughly 230 kilometers, 123 miles from the border of Pakistan sits the northwest Indian city of Bikaner. Roughly 700,000 people living in the middle of the Tar Desert, a.k.a. the Great Indian Desert, a.k.a. Uh, Big Sandy Shithole. Uh, the temperature ranges from hot in the winter with a record high of 99 degrees Fahrenheit, 37.2 degrees Celsius in February. Uh, then it goes up to um, hot as fuck in the spring, uh, is the official terminology, I believe. A uh, record high of 118.8 degrees Fahrenheit, 48.2 degrees Celsius in April. And then it uh, kicks up again to, oh, Lord, why have you forsaken us and sent us into the bowels of hell itself? Uh, Be gone, Lucifina, uh, in the summer with a record high of 126.3 degrees Fahrenheit, 52.4 degrees Celsius. That's just, that's not fun. That's not fun for anybody. Even if you're somebody like, I like heat. I don't think you like that heat. Uh, and it's mostly known internationally as the birthplace of bougia, a popular Indian snack. It's a tasty little crunchy stick thing is the way I would describe it. Do you like little tasty crunchy stick things? Well, you might like this. Do you like it with some zest and some zing? Uh, it's something you'd find in like some snack mix looking kind of, kind of deal made out of moth beans. Oh, sweet moth beans. Who doesn't like a moth bean? I don't even know what the fuck that is. Uh, made out of some flour, spices, and uh, wizard magic. It's an industrial, fairly nondescript desert city. It's where a government employee and engineer B. Uh, Krishnan and his wife, Hema Krishnan, moved shortly after the birth of their second daughter, Malvika, in 1989. Uh, he worked at the waterworks department, making that sweet water money, handling his water business, keeping desert dwellers all hydrated and shit, keeping their skin moist, keeping their organs working. Water work. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, Malvika and her older sister, uh, Katambari, had by Malvika's account a very normal, happy, middle-class childhood. Uh, she loved playing outside. She's kind of a tomboy, uh, playing outside when the, when the desert sun wasn't dangerous. Uh, she played kickball, flew kites, roller skated, loved all things crafty and creative. She even trained in uh, Kathak, a type of Hindi traditional dancing for over seven years. Uh, she was an active, very physical kid, and then her life changed dramatically on May 26, 2002. Uh, Malvika was 13. Just started grade nine uh, courses, roughly the equivalent of being a freshman in high school here in the States. Uh, she'd just been let out for summer vacation. Sunday afternoon, some guests had come over to, to hang out with her folks, some family friends. Uh, her father sat in the drawing room with, uh, with the friends while her sister was in the kitchen preparing tea. Her mom was, you know, outside filling water in the cool, just like a normal day. Uh, Malvika's wearing what she called a snazzy outfit. She wasn't really into fashion. Uh, she, then she realized one of her pockets in her jeans was torn and hanging out. No worries. She's a crafty kid. She decides to grab some uh, Fevacol. It's like a brand of super glue, basically, in India. And was going to go glue her pocket back down to her jeans. She goes into the garage to grab a heavy, blunt object she wanted to, to find to, uh, to use to push down on the pocket. Like, push that jean against the jeans, you know, with that glue on there. Kind of hold it in place and, uh, and, and get it working. And, and she ended up grabbing a hand grenade. Uh, seriously. And if you're like me right now, you're thinking, why is there a hand grenade in the family's garage? That's a very good question. Uh, why would she uh, decide that a grenade was the best object to use to fix a pants pocket? Well, she had no idea it was a grenade. This is such a random accident. A freak accident put that grenade in her family's garage. Months before, there had been a fire and some explosions in a nearby military ammunition depot. This munitions depot. And it had blown bombs all over the area. And apparently the Indian government uh, didn't think this was a news story worth giving over to the press. And her parents had no idea this had happened. Nobody came knocking on the door, uh, you know, saying anything like, all right, uh, we had an accident down at the bomb factory. 
and there's a good chance your neighborhood is riddled with explosives. And we just figured, you know, having kids at all, that, you know, and, and you pr- probably possess an inclination to to not be blown to bits yourselves. Maybe you'd want us to peek around, make sure your house and or yard hasn't been turned into a minefield. Uh, maybe let our bomb dog look around for bombs. You know, uh, do, do you mind if we peek around? No, none of that, which is unbelievable to me. Now, I guess they decided to go with the cross your fingers and hope shit works out method. Uh, should we canvas the blast radio for explosives, sir? There's no time for that, soldier. Just hurry up and cross your goddamn fingers before all hell breaks loose. Tighter! Cross them tighter! What, you want those bombs to go off? Well, Malvika can recall exactly when the grenade exploded. She said later it was 1.15 p.m. in the afternoon. I remember the time exactly because the clock in my room stopped working at the time of the explosion. Uh, she said, I took the shell, I jabbed it into the pocket, right? She's pushing down that pocket, trying to press it into the jeans. When she repeated that action, boom! It explodes. Her parents and their guests hear the sound of an explosion come from room, but, you know, not thinking like, oh, our daughter probably has a bomb upstairs. They think like it was just maybe the TV was turned up way too loud and, and the sounds come from the television. Inside the room, uh, Malvika is initially, you know, uh, knocked unconscious, and then she comes back to consciousness pretty quickly and, and just is sitting there in shock. She's staring at her mangled, badly bleeding body. Her hands are gone. Uh, it's like a scene out of a horror movie. She doesn't feel any pain because she's gone into complete shock. Uh, but, but, you know, she sees what's going on with her body. She sees her, her legs. She sits there in stunned silence. Her parents rush into the room and her mom immediately just starts screaming. My daughter's hands are blown off. Her dad and his friend pick up the tangled mass of her body, uh, carry her to the family's car. Soon everybody's covered in blood. Uh, everyone's so horrified by the sight of her hands that no one even initially notices how damaged her legs are. Once she's all bundled up and placed in the backseat of her father's Jeep, uh, Malvika herself was the one who noticed that her legs were literally hanging on by a thin scrap of skin. She yelled out to her father's friend, Uncle, catch my legs. They are falling off of my body. The shocked dude grabs a handkerchief, tries to basically tie her legs together, and they rush off to the hospital. Holy shit. Can you imagine? Can you really imagine? Like that that level of tragedy. Horrifying to think about this uh, either happening to yourself or even worse, happening to your kid. You know, I wasn't home years ago. My daughter and Rose, she slammed Kyler's uh, finger into a door. She cut the tip off his middle finger on his left hand. He lost maybe a quarter an inch off the end of his middle finger. Stepdad, you know, was there, took him to the ER. He called me from the ER. My knees went weak. I was nauseous. Uh, my little man in so much pain, there's nothing I can do to fix it. I hate not being able to fix things just in general. And when your kid is hurt, it's the fucking worst. All you want to do is make that pain go away. You know, by the time I heard about Kyler, you know, he was fine. Just just a nasty bandage, you know, some gauze, a lot of gauze. Uh, because of his age, you know, how, how little was actually taken off. Most of the tissue grew back. And, and and today, I mean, if you're looking for it, you could be like, oh, okay, that finger looks a little bit different than the other finger. But you'd probably never tell. But I was still worried about his finger for months. Uh, Monroe broke her left arm two years ago, right near the growth plate above her elbow. I was worried for months that her that her growth would be stunted in that arm. There was a small chance of that. Didn't happen, luckily. Uh, she still feels pain in that arm from time to time. She can't bend her forearm back, you know, uh, towards her shoulder as much as she can with her, with her right arm. But you'd never know looking at her that anything had happened. Well, Malvika's parents, when they see her daughter, like or their daughter, you know, everybody has to know, including her, that life is going to be very different now. I mean, her her hands have literally disintegrated uh, from a grenade that had been launched into her garage from another explosion. What are the fucking odds of that? 
What are the odds that A, the grenade itself didn't blow up in the initial explosion, that B, the grenade makes its way into her parents' garage, C, uh, she would go look in that garage for a blunt object uh, to pound a piece of fabric with, and then D, she picks the grenade that didn't initially explode but now explodes. Whew. You know, I, I think most of us, and definitely myself, we, we feel a lot oftentimes that we can control more of our world than we actually can. You can't. All you can do is decrease the odds uh, that bad shit are going to happen to you. You know, but sometimes you still roll snake eyes. Sometimes no matter what you do, you can eat right, you can work out. Uh, the odds of you dying at a heart attack at 45 are greatly reduced, but they're never entirely eliminated. You can never smoke, still die of lung cancer. Sometimes bad shit just happens to you. Nothing you did wrong. Just life just motherfucks you. A uh, good thing to remember when things are uh, going well and you start getting a little judgy about people who maybe haven't had the same good fortune that you've had, haven't had the same dice rolls. Uh, hard work, you know, increases the odds dramatically that you'd be financially successful, but it doesn't guarantee it. You know, what is that phrase? Nothing in life is guaranteed. Not even keeping your hands. Not even uh, not having them blown off in a freak accident. So, so once Malvika makes it to the hospital, trauma surgeons are able to save her life, barely. Uh, you know, fortunately, it took her four days to, to start feeling the pain of her injuries. That's how uh, deep the shock was. But then when she did feel it, she really felt it. She would later say, but what pain it was. Red hot agony sliced through my charred body mercilessly. This is a 13-year-old girl. A million tiny pieces of the grenade were lodged in there. So those wounds were kept open for three months as they kept cleaning it vigorously. Whew. Three months of large open wounds being painfully cleaned. I'm guessing on a daily basis. Three months. Uh, and... No hands, no hands to grab a book, no hands to push a button to call for the doctors to brush the hair out of your eyes, no hands not to be crude but to wipe your ass with, no hands to, you know, once you're healed and a little more grown up, to ever touch a lover's face with. Uh, think about everything you use your hands for. For me, just, you know, uh, typing the notes, moving the notes along right now to do this podcast, adjusting the mic when I need to, pushing buttons to launch into different, you know, uh, show uh, segments, you know, intros and outros, the sound, uh, driving myself to work this morning, get out my keys to unlock the suck dungeon door. Uh, all that shit, you're like, well, now how am I going to do this? Now how am I going to figure this out? Malvika spent 18 months in the hospital enduring countless surgeries to save her legs, keep all the shrapnel from causing infections. 18 months. Skin grafts, bone reconstruction, nerve repair surgeries, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. She was fitted with prosthetics to replace her hands. Her arms now stop just uh, just past the elbows, you know, kind of on, on each side. She can now stand. She can walk short distances. Uh, she has nerve paralysis in her right leg. She can't feel anything in her left leg. Uh, nerve damage as severe as what she suffered can be, can be treated, but it can be cured. You know, there, there seems to be a wide variety of results you can experience. But from what I've read, and I'll be crystal clear, I have no medical expertise, uh, completely regaining nerve functionality when you've had a wound as severe as she had when your legs have been like shattered, uh, almost severed, is is essentially impossible. Uh, you know, it, it's, part of it can come back slowly through a lot of extremely painful physical rehabilitation. Uh, she was bedridden for an additional six months after her initial 18-month hospitalization. By the time she could do anything but just lie in bed, the now 15-year-old had missed two years of school. Her former classmates were preparing to take their exams that sent them on to grade 11. It's a little different in India than here. Um, yeah, there's a, like you take a, a, exams to be put in the right schools for your final two years of a, uh, essentially high school before you go on to college. Uh, the board exams were three months away. She was mostly bedridden. No one expected her to even try and take these tests. 
uh, you know, go back to school. Uh, she wasn't interested in staying at home and just watching her life pass her by. She said, it was not a love for academics that I wanted to take those exams because before her accident, she was an average student, uh, more interested in playing outside than studying. But now she felt like she had something to prove to herself and the rest of the world. She didn't want to be defined by her disability. Here comes the inspiring part, Mead Sachs. Uh, for the next three months, this this young lady, Malvika, this, it's, this fucking inspiration, said she worked harder than she'd ever worked in her life, said that her mom literally carried her, picked her up and carried her to the coaching center, you know, where she, where she studied. She said since she couldn't write, she had to dictate her exams, diagrams, equations, math, science, all had to be verbally dictated. Uh, when she was done, she, she felt like she'd done well. She felt like she passed. She did a lot more than that. The results of those exams changed her life again. Uh, she scored a 483 out of 500, 96.6% correct. She aced both the math and science portion of the exam, aced them. She received one of the highest scores on that exam in her entire state that year. She crushed that shit. And, I, and I'm going to say scoring in the top 3.5% of test takers in India, that's got to be like being the smartest person in the history of America. 18 of the last 22 winners of the uh, script spelling bee, like the Super Bowl spelling bees, have been Indian American. <laughs> 18 out of 22. I know stats for 2018, but in 2017, 13 of the final 15 spellers were Indian American. Who won? In 2018, 14-year-old Karthik Namani, Indian American boy. Uh, who did he beat? Uh, Nasa Modi, 12-year-old uh, Indian American girl. And, uh, and many of these kids are, are the children of immigrants where, where English is not even the first language spoken in their home. I have a college degree. Got A's in college. Uh, I bet a 10-year, I bet a, the an average 10-year-old uh, Indian kid would mop the fucking floor with me in a spelling bee or math test or pronunciation challenge or geography quiz. Actually, my son, Kyler, he goes to a gifted school where there's, you know, Spokane's pretty white. I think there's like maybe six Indian kids in his whole school. Uh, we, we, he, he took part in some geography challenge. I think all six were there. I think all of them advanced. I shit you not. Uh, what, I'm, what I'm saying is, uh, you know, uh, since my download numbers are, are, aren't huge in India, uh, you know, there's a good chance that Malvika is smarter than anyone listening to the show. Anyone have anything to do with the show? Uh, incredible. Three months of study, she does that. That's determination. So suddenly there's a, there's a torrent of media attention regarding how a severely disabled girl who just been in a bomb blast and missed two years of school, how could she have such a terrific score? She's invited to, uh, to the Rashtrapati uh, Bhavin, India's equivalent of the White House in New Delhi, to meet the then president of India, the late Dr. APJ Abdul Kalam. Uh, this is India's president from 2002 to 2007. And that homeboy, uh, he knew more than a few things about studying. This man was an intellectual heavyweight. He studied physics, aerospace engineering, kicked off his career designing a hovercraft. No big whoops. Just uh, just going to make the only thing I've ever wanted, uh, or that I ever wanted for about three years, excuse me, of my childhood on his way to becoming president. Did anyone else really want a hovercraft? I wanted a hovercraft so bad. I thought about it so much. I would say fifth grade through seventh grade, I was thinking about hovercrafts on a daily basis. Uh, I wanted one kind of like the one in the uh, in the G.I. Joe cartoon. And by kind of, I mean exactly. I wanted exactly that hovercraft. Go, Joe! If I was crazy rich, I would have a hovercraft. And some dude or dudette who knows how to repair and operate a hovercraft. And I would have a fridge full of tasty sandwiches. I want you to just hear this fantasy for a second. And I'd have a bathroom inside. Just picture it in your mind. And I'd have a bed in my hovercraft, a little kind of room for taking hovercraft naps. And a, and a PS4. I'd have a PS4. Had, I'd have Red Dead Redemption 2. Uh, my family, I would, I would let my family come along. I would let Lindsay, Kyler, and Roe come along on a trial basis. If you start complaining, 
You're off of the fucking hovercraft. Get out. I will not hesitate to throw anyone off my hovercraft. That's important. If you can't have fun and be cool in a hovercraft, then you don't deserve to magically float across the swamp. All right. Rule, rule number one of hovercraft riding. Sticks in the mud get thrown off of the fucking hovercraft. Rule number two. Do not shit in the hovercraft bathroom. Smelling someone else's shit greatly diminishes hovercraft enjoyment. Rule number three. Get your dirty raccoon paws off my captain's hat. Doesn't matter if I'm driving or not. I'm the captain. And if you touch it, well, you're being a real stick in the mud. And you can refer back to rule number one. And you can see what happens to your salty ass. But enough about hovercrafts. As fun as that was for me. Let's talk more about Malvika. After kicking ass on her exams, Malvika, uh, she, she kicks ass in grades 11 and 12. Then she decides to try and get into the best college in India. She says, I made up my mind to go to the best college in the country for my undergrad. And she did. She got in. She got into St. Stephen's, graduated in economics with honors. And St. Stephen's, a constituent college of the University of Delhi, uh, located in New Delhi, widely regarded as, uh, as, as basically the most prestigious college for arts and sciences in India. Uh, St. Stephen's, along with the Hindu College and Ramjas College, make up the University of Delhi. Former presidents of both India and Pakistan are among the alumni. And, and Malvika graduates from this place with honors in economics. Uh, while at this college, she said she started to feel sorry for herself. Said, uh, seeing my peers have a normal life and enjoy the things I couldn't do made me miserable. I was consumed by what I could not be and could not do. Uh, she's constantly seeing others run, play sports, hold hands, all the other things most of us don't even think about. We take for granted when we have a working set of legs, a working set of hands. And then she had another life-altering experience. She studies uh, for a master's in social work from the Delhi School of Social Work. And as part of her field work, uh, Malvika has to teach differently abled children. She sees firsthand the courage and strength these kids have to face the challenges uh, they face having only like one arm or no arms or one leg or no legs. And she says, I ended up learning so much from them instead. And, and then her life took yet another turn when she uh, when she first picked up an air banjo and everything changed forever. She realized you don't need you don't need hands to pluck air strings. You just need a voice, a passion for banjo and a musician's soul. Today's Time Suck is brought to you by the A-Hole Air Banjo Academy's Worldwide Winter Concert Series. Sign up through Time Suck today. You will learn the basics of traditional Hindustani air music originally written for the air sitar, but transcribed by our talented team of experts for the American banjo. Check out this little Hindu ditty. Or maybe this one slides into your ear hole a little more smoothly. Maybe like a little something more modern, a little more, a little more of a Bollywood dance number. So head over. To aholeairbanjoacademy.com slash time suck slash stop it already to accomplish nothing at all. That's, that's not a real sponsor. That was fun though. I never get tired of that. What a fun world to live in if that was though. If that was a real sponsor. Time suck is brought to you by fun sponsor. Time suck is really brought to you by the Great Courses Plus. The Great Courses Plus lets you view the world through different perspectives and surprise yourself with new discoveries. Get unlimited access to learn from people who are passionate about their areas of expertise. Uh, and we love passion here on the suck. Whether it's history of ancient Egypt astronomy, forensic history, even brain hacks, photography. There's a variety of topics to choose from and new courses are added all the time. Watch or listen uh, anytime you want on the Great Courses Plus app. 
I've been talking down the brand new course, uh, The Philosophy of Humor. What makes us laugh? Why? What's the relationship between humor and tragedy? Very important for today's episode. Uh, I've been checking out lecture number five from this series, uh, Comedy and Tragedy. Of course, I have uh, Professor Stephen Gimble, PhD in philosophy from John Hopkins, Professor Chair at Gettysburg College. Tragedy and comedy are related. He says, uh, think about the classical symbol of the theater. Those two masks, right? One's smiling, one's frowning, one's comedy, one's tragedy. Uh, those symbols come from ancient Greece. Those masks originally represented two of Greece's nine muses. And, and you know, the muses would visit artists and grant them inspiration. Uh, Melpom- Melpomene was the goddess of tragedy and her younger sister, uh, Thalia, or Thalia, was the goddess of comedy. And Greeks saw that these, uh, you know, were distinct genres. And Aristotle actually wrote a breakdown of how to write for tragedy, how to understand tragedy, and also uh, wrote a separate book about, you know, how to understand and how to write for comedy. Sadly, no known copy of the comedy book survives. Uh, but based on later works that have survived, referencing that book, we essentially uh, understand that comedy's primary primary value is in coping with tragedy. Uh, we make light of the horrible things that happen in our world so that we can deal with living in this world. If we only focus on tragedy, what, well, deep, dark depression, uh, here we come. And, and there's so much more to that. Uh, there's so much, uh, there's a better explanation, uh, you know, in the lecture. So, so, so get in, get into the great courses. Plus now is the perfect time to get started for a limited time. Only you get a full month of, uh, uh for free when you sign up at the great slash time suck. Start your free month today at thegreatcoursesplus.com slash time suck. That's great courses plus the great courses plus, excuse me, the great courses plus.com slash time suck. Link in the episode description button on the app. All right, just link right over. All right, now back to uh, to someone who, uh, you know, over, has overcome a tremendous amount of tragedy, Malvika Ayer. Uh, Malvika was feeling sorry for herself again. We just talked about, you know, and uh, during her uh, college education, then she started working with children of various disabilities while she get her master's, or I guess to use better, uh, more empowering semantics, differently abled children, and, and then she got inspired. And then she graduates or graduates with a master's in social work, graduates first in her class, uh, wins a prestigious academic award in India called a Rolling Cup for her doctoral thesis, a thesis dealing with the stigmatization of people with disabilities. That's how she got her PhD in social work. Goes on to become a recipient of the Nara Shakti Puraskar, uh, the highest civilian honor for women uh, that women can attain in India, you know, given by the president of India. She now works internationally as a motivational speaker, uh, as a member of the United Nations Illuminati New World Order Child Sacrificer. That's what the United Nations is to some people. But she works as a member of the United Nations, uh, their interagency network on youth developments, working group on youth and gender inequality. A lot, lot of words, but good group. Uh, she's a model for uh, accessible fashion. She's a beautiful woman. She's kicking ass. Uh, she still struggles with, you know, the public's perception of her. I mean, of course. I mean, can you imagine just being gawked at, looked at, like some kind of circus sideshow curiosity everywhere you go? Uh, she said in a 2013 interview, the other day I was in a market. Uh, it was sweltering hot. I was sweating profusely and my prosthetic hands fell off. Uh, she then describes the perplexing and somewhat horrified re- reactions of the people around her, adding they just didn't know what to make of me. Uh, she also still fights to see if there's any new medical advancements that can restore functionality in her legs. She says that her legs are a gnarled and tangled mess of bone, and that it used to bother me how ugly they are. She once went to a doctor to check out options of cosmetic surgery, uh, but he told her that with her injuries, she would just never even be able to walk again and just to forget about cosmetic surgery. She then blew his mind when she let him know that she walked to his clinic. Uh, the doctor was impressed, but surgery, cosmetic surgery, is still out of the question. 70 to 80% of the nerves in her legs have been destroyed. Surgery could jeopardize the, the tiny amount of function she still has that allows her to walk for short distances. 
Uh, people constantly remind Malvika of her disability, uh, but she says she lives by Scott Hamilton's words, the only disability in life is a bad attitude. Uh, Scott Hamilton being a former U.S. Olympic gold medal winning figure skater who has suffered through numerous brain tumors and other forms of cancer for years and years. Uh, Malvika said, I've come to realize that I could be the president of India and people would still pity me. It's in their nature. Now I concentrate on my own abilities and not people's reactions towards me. That's a very empowering shift in the you know, life perspective, just kind of shift that paradigm. Uh, that's all it took to change my life. Malvika's also found romance. She's in a committed relationship with a loving partner. Uh, it's a good chance to have hot sex. You know, like, like I think like really like knock it out, rocking that G-spot kind of sex. It's not written, it's not written anywhere. But she carries around that kind of I have hot sex, that kind of big dick energy when you, when you, when you, when you watch her interviews. Uh, she ended one of the interviews. I read about her with a fantastic quote, little advice for the rest of us. She says, I sometimes feel grateful for the blast. I think of the average life I would have been leading and look around and see the amazing opportunities that I get to experience now. My disability is a shield against a life of mediocrity. Woo! That's beautiful. Uh, she also says, opportunities are there for every one of us. Don't give in. Fight and you will survive. Fight and you will survive. Hail Lucifina. Uh, before we move on to the next inspirational tale, let, let's hear a few words directly from Mal, Malvika. This is uh, from, a, from a YouTube video called A Bilateral Amputee Offers a Lesson on Resilience. Disability lies in the eyes of the observer and not the observed. So it is up to you whether or not you want to be seen as a person with a disability. It's the choice that you make. Like the very famous quote, the only disability in life is a bad attitude. I think the most critical barrier that each one of us face wow. is the barrier of attitude, the discriminatory attitude. I believe that hope is very important in life. If I had lost hope on the day of my accident, I wouldn't be sitting here talking to you. Wow. And she ends it with a beautiful smile. Wow. She's like one of those beauties that it's like, it's part physical and just part like her energy. Just uh, beautiful, man. Powerful shit. Disability lies in the eyes of the observer. And uh, and I believe that hope is important as well. It's a great message, man. You lose hope, what do you have? You know, one of my favorite books, just of all time, maybe my favorite book ever, Man's Search for Meaning. It's written by neurologist and psychiatrist Viktor Frankl. Uh, Viktor Frankl was a Holocaust survivor who made it to the age of 92, became a very uh, noted, influential uh, psychiatrist. Uh, he developed a psychotherapeutic approach called logotherapy that's always resonated very strongly with me. It's, uh, it's, it's what works for me as kind of a uh, psychological approach to life. The driving force behind logotherapy is the idea that human beings are are mostly motivated by a search for meaning and purpose in their life. Like indicate like the, the the meaning of their life is the biggest question you know we face, uh, the biggest stressor on our psyches. You know, like basically, if your life has meaning, if your life is full of hope, uh, you'll be far less prone to depression, uh, far less apt to be you know very happy and fulfilled. Uh, now I know for some that depression is chemical, but I think for many others, including myself, it's largely a combination of perspective and attitude. Uh, does my life have meaning? Do I feel uh, fulfilled? Do I think that good times lie ahead? If I can answer yes to all those questions, I'm a pretty happy fucking camper. If I answer no, man, dark clouds start settling in my head. If I start dwelling on a, on a future that I don't feel looks bright, it gets me real down. Uh, and I know a lot of that is just how you choose to kind of look at your life. And Frankel developed this theory uh, you know, that hope corresponds to happiness in a very dramatic way. 
he was, you know, he was, uh, uh, again, a Holocaust survivor. He watched fellow concentration camp prisoners who gave up hope literally die over and over again. Uh, they gave up thinking they would ever escape. Uh, they would ever be rescued. Uh, you know, the, their family members, you know, died and they just they lost any any will to live. And then they did die. And this would just, again, happen over and over again. Others living in the exact same conditions who kept hope alive for a better tomorrow consistently lived much longer than those who gave up. Like he's, he's, his, his psychologist mind is very active in this uh, concentration camp setting. And he's basically studying his fellow, uh, you know, uh, captives. Um, uh, and, and so he, he had reason himself to give up. You know, 1942, his, his wife and his parents were, were deported to a Nazi ghetto along with himself. Uh, his father died soon there of, of pneumonia. Then in 1944, he and his remaining family sent to Auschwitz. Uh, the concentration camp, his mom and brother are murdered there. His wife is sent to a separate camp. She is murdered there. By the end of the war, World War II, his sister Stella, the only remaining member of his immediate family to still be alive. And then after enduring uh, all of that and the suffering in these camps, he concludes that even in the most absurd, painful, and dehumanized situation, life still has potential meaning. And therefore, even suffering can be meaningful. He's liberated in 1945. Uh, and then he's running the Vienna Polyclinic of Neurology by 1946. He's remarried by 1947. Uh, he was Jewish. You know, his wife, his new wife, uh, though, was Catholic. And then they would continue for the next uh, you know, almost 50 years, celebrate both Christmas and Hanukkah every year. I think that's really beautiful. Uh, they have a daughter who goes on to become a child psychologist. You know, by 1961, he was a visiting professor at Harvard. Oh, man, when he died at the age of 92, you know, still married, still married to that second wife. Uh, has two grandchildren, three great grandchildren, and he, and he and he had all of that because he chose he chose hope. He chose hope, just like Malvika. Nothing was given to either of them. So much was taken. Uh, they chose chose not to wallow in self pity. Instead, they they chose to work their fucking asses off and do something great with their lives. I love it. I love it so much, man. Gets my motor going. Uh, makes me want to do so so much more before I shed this meat sack skin and just bounce out to the next plane. Right? What can you get done before you die? How much good can you pump out into the world? Hail Nimrod. Be fired up, goddammit. What are you doing with your life? How much better could you make it? Uh, now for even more tragedy. This next one, in my opinion, uh, substantially more, more brutal than what we just heard in a variety of ways. I, I may or may not have cried when I first read this one. Holy shit. Like worst nightmare kind of stuff. So buckle up, buttercups. Uh, get ready to hear about someone getting their ass kicked uh, just, just right in the nuts repeatedly by life. Uh, time to talk about Alex Lewis uh, right after I push this little interlude button one more time. Back in October of 2013, Alex Lewis ha- had life by the balls. Right? Things are moving along fantastically. He'd, he'd met his uh, live-in girlfriend, life partner Lucy, five years earlier in 2008. He'd come over to do some home repair work for her, and she thought he was handsome, funny, kind. She loved how laid back he was. They fell in love. Had a son, uh, get a pub where they both worked in Winchester, a small city of about 50,000 people, 60 miles or 97 kilometers southwest of London. Uh, they buy a second pub. Alex is running one. Lucy's running the other. Uh, Alex describes himself prior to his infection as being quite vain. Said he spent a lot of time in the mirror making sure his hair was just so, you know, clothes are looking good. Making sure his jeans got just the right amount of tight. Making sure he's got some good new shoes. He believed uh, in that... Uh, that message of always judge a man by his shoes. I've talked about that too, actually. Uh, he loved golf, a drink at the pub with his buddies, spending time with with his uh, with his girl Lucy and their son Sam. 
And then in late October 2013, when he's 33 years old and his son Sam is two, his throat starts feeling a little scratchy one night at the pub. Right? Just just knocking back some Guinness. Throat gets a little scratchy. Not a big deal, right? Uh, who hasn't had a scratchy throat before? I, I get a scratchy throat several times a year. And he figures he's coming down with a with a mild flu, maybe a cold. Turns out he actually was coming down with a cold, common cold. But he, but he also was, uh, you know, feeling the beginnings of something much, much, much more sinister. A terrible and rare infection. One morning in early November, on Saturday, on a Saturday morning, when both Alex and Sam are feeling ill, Alex suddenly takes a severe turn for the worse. Lucy finds Alex in an extreme state of terrible pain. His eyes are like, you know, popping out of his head. His eyes just, you know, wide open. His skin is hot to the touch. Literally turning purple before her eyes all over the top half of his body, his torso. He's, he's shivering. He's disorientated. He doesn't know exactly where he is, what's going on. She calls an ambulance, tells them that her husband has a rash everywhere, uh, has been complaining of a terrible headache for the past few days, tells them he'd been recently vomiting and experiencing blood in his urine. By the time the paramedics arrive, uh, his body's begun to shut down. They struggle to insert a needle into one of his veins to get an IV drip going because his veins are just, you know, they're just they're just shutting down. Everything's shutting down. They manage to get him into the ambulance. They, get, they give him penicillin. Lucy hopes this is, uh, you know, going to knock things out, that the worst is already behind him now. They're in good hands. She couldn't have known how wrong she was to think that. No one had any idea that Alex's flu-like symptoms were the result of a bacteria commonly found on the surface of skin. Normally harmless. Uh, streptococcus, strep, strep, uh, streptococcus, there we go. Streptococcus strandae, a.k.a. toxic shock syndrome, also known as necrotizing fasciitis, or more commonly, flesh-eating bacteria. Essentially, this is the worst type of infection you can possibly get. Uh, this shit is demonic. So what is toxic shock syndrome? If you've heard of it, you've probably heard of it in the context of tampons. Seriously. Uh, tampons have become very associated with toxic shock syndrome to the point that people, a lot of people think that's the only way you can get it is from tampons. Uh, and, and they're associated with it because, uh, you know, tampons are one of the few foreign objects that humans can shove inside themselves or, or choose to shove inside themselves and then let sit for hour on hour, you know, hour after hour. Probably a butt plug or two out there that get, get lost in there in the crevice. Uh, probably some Benoit balls get stuck in a moist, tight human hole, maybe for a little too long. Uh, but anyway. You know, the, the tampons uh, left in there too long and, and vaginas are already full of organisms. And I'm not talking about some dirty bird's fingers or tongue or someone who hasn't scrubbed down their dingling with enough of Mama Ridgeway's Clean Wean, which brings me to our final sponsor. Today's Time Suck is brought to you by Mama Ridgeway's Clean Wean. Special pine-scented uh, toxic shock blend. Just in time for the holidays. Uh, don't think old St. Nick can save your prick this holiday season, meat sacks. If your dingle's dirty... Your future is looking anything but purdy. In addition to kicking off your partner's gag reflex and changing their tune from give me more daddy to uh-uh, that shit's nasty, a filthy flesh sword can become a regular old bacteria brothel. And a wean that should be clean can quickly turn into a bloody, open, infected wound that has to be amputated. So for God's sake, pretend your mama Ridgeway and that your wean is Green River Gary's mattress sprinkler and get to scrubbing. Make that wean sparkly clean. Make that wean sparkly clean. While supplies last, everyone who orders a bar of Christmas clean wean gets a free 8-ounce bottle of Stink Puss Be Gone. Stink Puss Be Gone is a blend of bleach, jalapeno juice, jalapeno juice, both, all three, sawdust, vinegar, Himalayan sea salt, pepper, 
turns that old sourpuss into one sweet, scented, Lucifina-approved fresh kitty meow meow. Get your fresh kitty meow meow. Uh, please note that neither of these products have either been evaluated by a doctor, uh, someone who looks like a doctor, or even uh, someone who either knows or has even heard of a doctor. And that, of course, is not our final sponsor. Damn it. I want them to be a sponsor, too. I want to live in that world. Uh, Time Suck is brought to you by another cool sponsor, though. It's brought to you by Nuggle. Nuggle is your new one-stop shop for all things cannabis. Hail Nimrod. Uh, whether you're interested in finding local cannabis businesses or just sharing your weed wonder with some new friends, Nuggle has you covered. So get the Nuggle app. Uh, download it. Use it to search for dispensaries, brands, strains, doctors, and more. You know, the Nuggle app, uh, who, who's it belong to? Some time suckers. Uh, maybe even, uh, uh, you know, find yourself a weed wizard. Maybe find the key to unlocking your third eye. That's why your third eye is closed, Meat Sack. You haven't unlocked it with Nuggle. Stop the struggle. Get some of that Nuggle. For the record, that's not that's not their slogan. I just came up with that. Nuggle is a free app. It's, uh, it's like a rainbow map. It takes you to the end of so many rainbows, and there are pots of pot at the end of those goddamn rainbows. So get your shit together and get some. Now you can only find us, uh, you know, not only, excuse me, can you find dispensaries and shops you can interact with uh, with other users of the app via via Nuggle. Via the Nuggle app, you can review shops as well, encourage shops to provide the best prices and service, uh, help promote the best places to get your goodies, get your treats, uh, keep bad places from giving newly legalized Mary Jane an undeserved reputation stain. So save money. Find the best customer service, best weed-related products on Nuggle. N-U-G-L. That's how it's spelled. N-U-G-L. Nuggle. Download that app or check them out at www.nugl.com. Link in the episode description. Love having them as a sponsor. Big fan of big fan of edibles lately. My recipe for the best night of sleep ever, 10 milligrams of CBD. Uh, pop one of those little gummies. Uh, 10 milligrams of indica. And that equals sweet dreams are made for me. Eating weed feels so good. Back back now, though, to your worst nightmare. Uh, we're talking about bacteria. We're talking about streptococcus, strand A, toxic shock syndrome. Vaginas are full of organisms, bacteria. Uh, they're a breeding ground for bacteria. That's not me just joking around. Uh, most of this uh, bacteria is, that, is either harmless or actually helpful. Uh, when you lady suckers introduce a tampon into that environment, though, you inadvertently give uh, some of these little bacteria organisms another place to grow and thrive. It's already warm and moist, which bacteria and I love. Uh, now they've got a new area to colonize. Our immune systems, you know, mostly fight off these little burgeoning colonizations, uh, you know, just like they fight off, you know, uh, the many thousands of other almost infections that happen all over our bodies all of the time. All of us meat sacks are constantly covered in bacteria inside and out. And our white blood cells have gotten pretty good at killing the ones that pose a threat. But sometimes you get a perfect storm of conditions and staph or strep bacteria can build up momentum inside an object like a tampon before your body's natural defenses can detect and defeat them. And then once your body's found out what's going on, it's too strong. It's built up an army. You know, it's the fucking Mongol horde is in there. Uh, this is more likely if you left the tampon in for a long time. But it can also happen when you just have a localized infection in a wound or really any part of the body which is why it can happen to anybody, not just, you know, women, not just women with tampons that have been left in too long. Actually, one-third of toxic shock syndrome cases are men, uh, like Alex Lewis. That really shocked Lindsay, actually. She assumed that it was just always women and always related to tampons. Nope. Uh, in general, I will say this type of bacterial outbreak is exceptionally rare, uh, woman or man. In 2016, the CDC reported a grand total worldwide of 323 cases. Only 26 of those cases died. Um, compared to the overall population, very small, I, I, excuse me, I said worldwide, not true, uh, nationwide, nationwide. 
is is on your side. I think is their slogan. But we're not talking about insurance, and I don't want them as a sponsor. So, nah, no. In 2016, the CDC reported, yeah, 323 cases in the U.S., 26 people died. Compared to the overall population, very small number. Uh, it's important to note this bacteria, this uh, Streptococcus strand A, doesn't do anything to the overwhelming number of people. And I don't know why I said that thing about Nationwide. I have no idea what that company's about. Maybe they're fine. That, that was getting in my head. I was like, why did I just say that? I don't even know what the fuck I'm talking about. Uh, let's focus on bacteria. It's uh, th- This strand A is one of two bacteria, the other being... Uh, Staphylococcus, Staphylococcus. There we go. These words. I want to find whoever invented them and I want to punch them in the throat. I want one punch in the throat for every unnecessary syllable. Uh, the other being uh, Staphylococcus, uh, uh, aureus, and both can produce a toxin called TSST1, toxic shock syndrome toxin 1. And this, this uh, TSST1 is a super antigen, which means it prompts the immune system to massively overreact to an infection. That's how this disease gets you or this, uh, whatever you want to call it, this, this infection. The resulting storm of immune cells causes your body to go into shock as inflammation spreads, a fever rises, if left unchecked, it eventually causes multi-organ failure. The toxin can enter the bloodstream even if the bacteria is isolated to one area. So an infection can start in one part of the body and then can end up spreading to the entire rest of your body. It can kill you. Um, there also is other toxins that can cause toxic shock syndrome, but TSST1 is the most common and what's crazy is, again, these bacteria are super common. Nearly one in three of us have this bacteria on our skin or in our nose or your sinus cavity. But for the overwhelming majority of us, it's just, it's never going to do anything bad. It's completely harmless. Uh, for, for those of us, it does cause problems. For the problems usually aren't that severe. The most common type of staph infection caused by this type of bacteria is a boil, a pocket of pus that develops in a hair follicle or oil gland. Uh, the skin over the infected area usually becomes red and swollen. Staph bacteria, also uh, the most common cause of food poisoning. Um, also known as blood poisoning, uh, septicemia occurs when staph bacteria enter a person's bloodstream. And antibiotics can knock out these type of infections 99% of the time. If they're, if, if they're even needed. Food poisoning and boils usually don't even require uh, any, you know, antibiotics. I mean, not to be gross, but I have had a boil the size of a walnut on my right ball for about a year. Never had it checked out. Uh, never talked to a doctor about it. So it's a bit tender, you know, but I, overall I feel fine. Every month or so I, I squeeze it really hard and try to try to pop it, but no luck yet. You know, it hurts. hurts a lot when I do that. Uh, I about passed out last time I did it, but, you know, uh, y'all try again. I'll just put some more pressure on it, see what happens. So far, you know, I haven't been able to crack it, but no big whoops. Probably, probably a harmless bit of staff. You know, eventually I'm just going to heat up a needle and poke around and see if I can't, can't get it to go away. You know, no sense, no sense wasting some doctor's time on, on some, uh, you know, surprisingly hard, taut, uh, bright red ball stuck to, uh, stuck to one of my balls. And, uh, and I'm completely kidding. Thank Nimrod. I don't have that or anything close to that. And if I did, I'd be in a doctor's office, uh, ASAP. I'd, I'd be there in a lobby, uh, weeping. I'd be thinking about, should I weep or should I vomit? Maybe both. Um, if you have, if you have something like that, please get checked out. So why does this common bacteria sometimes lead to a severe flesh eating infection? No one really knows. That's a frustrating part of this episode. Alex Lewis gets this infection. His son doesn't, his, his girl, Lucy doesn't, you know, uh, none of his customers at the, at the pub, they don't get it. None of his friends or family get it. No one else at the hospital gets it. Others may have had this bacteria on them, probably did, but it doesn't kick off a massive toxin buildup, which then triggers a tragic overreaction from an immune system and anybody else. Uh, like Malvika, uh, he was just very, very unlucky. Shit happens. You know, life got him. 
And late October 2013 uh, should happen in such a big way to Alex Lewis. When he enters the emergency room, the bacteria have already, has already triggered this aggressive immune reaction, uh, immune system reaction. His body is attacking itself. His body quickly starts to die. His toes are dying. His fingertips are dying. His earlobes and nose are dying. Uh, he's given a massive dose of, you know, uh, the most powerful antibiotics available to mankind. Uh, basically continually given antibiotics. The infection is still raging inside of him. His limbs become uh, severely discolored. I've seen images it's hard to look at. Large brown splotches appear all over his skin, like on his legs especially, you know, as if these living limbs are rotting while still attached to his body, which essentially they kind of are. Um, you know, he, he's laying in a hospital bed hooked up to a maze of tubes. He, he's fallen into a, a, a comatose state from the infection. While he's in this comatose state, his doctors have to ask his mother because him and his lady are, are not married. So she has, you know, a say over, you know, whether or not certain medical you know, uh, medical operations, I guess, medical techniques can be can be administered on him, medical treatment, however you want to say it. Uh, the doctors asked his mom uh, for permission to amputate his left arm where the infection was the most widespread at the time. As soon as his mom gives this permission, the doctor then asks for uh, permission to amputate both legs. So they make the decision to uh, amputate both legs uh, and his and his arm. Doctors later perform a number, number of surgeries on Alex's remaining arm to keep at least one limb, but it's a losing battle. Uh, it took 17 and a half hours in an operating uh, room on Christmas Eve in 2013 to rebuild this remaining arm. They they, they stripped the arm uh, to scrape dead tissue away. Oh, my God. They take uh, 16 and a half inches, 42 centimeters of his left shoulder blade, along with skin, muscle, nerves, and tissue to graft it onto his right remaining arm because, uh, you know, he'd lost the left one. I, I think I said that correctly. But the damage proved to be too severe. And one night while he's asleep, Lewis rolls over and snaps his remaining arm in two. He says, my hand was dangling down by my elbow. His right arm then has to be amputated. Fuck! It's like he literally died and went to hell. This is the kind of thing where, like, even if he was my worst enemy, even if he'd done something I considered unforgivable, at this point I'd be like, all right, all right. He has suffered enough. My God. But the infection still not done with him. It's, it's attacking his mouth, takes his lips, takes a lot of the skin around his, uh, his lips, where his lips used to be, takes part of his nose, Takes enough of his face that by the time he wakes up to uh, to all four of his limbs being gone, he really can't speak. He's not able to speak. Doctors uh, worry that he's also suffered brain damage. They ask Lucy to ask him a question that he can shake his head yes or no to that only they would know the answer to. And they'd had a little running joke for the last eight years. Where every morning for the last eight years, uh, Lucy, when she would wake up, would ask, will you marry me? Because they weren't, still weren't actually married, and he would say no. Uh, so she asked him the same question. He still says no. They know his brain is not damaged. And then they spend the next nine months, uh, or he spends the next nine months, undergoing 11 more operations to stabilize what's left of his body, uh, you know, just his, his torso. He spends nearly all of his time in the hospital away from his family. Lucy and their son Sam visit as much as they can. Sam's reaction to his father's disfigurement was one of the hardest things Alex had to deal with uh, during his recovery. Sam was afraid of his dad, afraid of the way he looked. Uh, he'd cry when Lucy would try to make him give his dad a hug. Uh, so Alex tries, uh, decides to endure more surgeries to uh, humanize his appearance and make him look more normal to his son. Initially, the surgeries make him look even more bizarre as his first lip surgery is 12 hours long. They take a piece of skin from his shoulder, surgically attach it to his, surgically attach it to his mouth. It, it makes his face look extremely puffy uh, or makes it extremely puffy. It, and it also adds excess skin initially to the left side of his face. He just has like a skin flap dangling there. Because they needed that in case the first skin didn't didn't heal correctly. They want to be able to grab that extra piece. I mean, this poor bastard. After a year of remaining in the hospital, he's finally able to come home, uh, try to develop a sense of normalcy with his family. The, the lip surgery does work. 
after the swelling goes down with his lips, uh, his son still won't give him a kiss, just kind of a quick hug. His lips are kind of hard to describe. Like, I'll, I'll play some audio of Alex in a bit so you can hear how he sounds. Sounds great, thanks to these lips. Uh, but they they don't look... They just don't look like lips. They don't. They look like the kind of lips you would see on like, I can. I, I think of like a monkey doll or a monkey puppet. I'm not trying to be a dick or funny. There's no humor or mockery when I'm saying. I'm just trying to describe it. Remember, this is this is skin taken from his shoulder. It's shoulder skin. Maybe a better description. It looks like it looks like two pieces of skin colored play doh have been rolled up, and one's been put uh, above, you know, where his upper lip would be, and one's been put where his lower lip would be. So they're like they're like way too big. And puffy for for lips, but they they function the same way a lip would. It uh, it's a little bit hard to mentally process when you when you look at it. It just doesn't look real. Like it, my mind struggles a little bit to like categorize it when I'm looking at it. Uh, in addition to struggling with being denied the same amount of uh, you know pre-infection affection from his son, he also struggles mentally with not being able to help his family. You know, while he continues to recover at home, Lucy has to run the family business, run both those pubs and a guest house now. A lot of work for both Lucy and Alex before. Now it's just her. Uh, she also has to essentially do everything for the son, Sam. Luckily, Alex has a caregiver, you know, at the house, so she uh, at least doesn't have to do everything for him. Uh, their relationship becomes understandably tense. Lucy doesn't know how to make him feel better physically. She wants to give him physical affection and cuddle, but she worries she'll hurt him. He initially also worries about this. It's very tough originally for them to have sex. Uh, they would have sex. Thank God the infection at least left him that limb. I'm not joking. Not that he wouldn't have been able to overcome that as well, but but at least he could still have an orgasm. He could still get an erection, feel that sense of vitality and manhood. Uh, you know, when nearly every other aspect of traditional physical masculinity has been taken from him. I know you don't need that stuff, but come on, let's be real. It helps. It helps you feel manly. Uh, you know, he's not going to be able to open up any tightly sealed jars anymore. Not going to be able to lift heavy boxes, but he can still sport some steel. That's important, you know? What is big deal? Oh, so you have hard dick. Is that is that shot at Chikatilo? Is that poking of fun against the great Russian wrestler? Just because he not jerk soft shamecock under sweatpants in back of schoolroom or while standing above child bed? Oh, he's some kind of saint now. Fuck yourself, master sucker. You know nothing of manhood. You soft. Alex Lewis, soft. I wrestle him to ground. I no need to wrestle him. He already on ground. He already pinned. I stand above him. I jerk. That's enough, Chuck Tilo. I'm sorry. I listen. I embarrass myself. I apologize to you. <sighs> apologies to Mr. Lewis. Uh, apologies to entire Tomsook uh, community. Are you seriously? Are you ac- are you actually sorry, Chikatilo? Get fuck out of here! I sorry for nothing! I jerk on you both! I wrestle your mother! I wrestle your wife! I jerk on everyone! Nimrod commands you to be gone! Chikatilo, get out of here! Whew! Sorry about that, everybody. Sorry about that. If you're new to the cult, uh, Chikatilo, he's a real rascal. He's a real, he's a real scoundrel. He's a filthy Ukrainian nightmare who thankfully is, uh, is dead in real life, but his, his spirit is trapped inside the suck. Uh, it is the will of Nimrod. It's not for me to understand it. He's just here. Uh, you shouldn't bother kid today. And if, you, if you're watching this on YouTube and you've never heard anything before and you're thinking, this guy is out of his fucking mind. Maybe, but I'm having fun. Uh, okay, let's talk about Alex again. Alex, understandably, struggling with his sexuality after his operations. Uh, he doesn't understand how Lucy can be attracted to him anymore. Uh, he feels terrible that she has to uh, that she has to do so much, you know, work in their life. He, he just feels like a burden. But Lucy's love wears him down. She is a good, good lady, this Lucy. This Lucy. Hey, Lucifina. 
Uh, she never considered leaving him. She loved him more than she loved anybody in her life. Uh, for months after getting back home, um, Alex undergoes intense physical therapy to learn to fine-tune what's left of his body. Uh, the hardest uh, loss to overcome for Alex is losing his arms. Everything that he used to love to do, like playing golf, cooking, reading, he can no longer do without arms. Uh, during his rehab, he's given prosthetic arms. And then like a baby, learning how to uh, you know walk and do everything you know for the first time, he has to learn how to do everything for the first time. He's also given uh, uh, prosthetic legs. He has to learn how to how to walk. He has to learn how to like you know perform basic tasks like how to pick up a spoon. Um, things don't things go better with the prosthetic arms than with the legs. Uh, the rehab is physically and mentally exhausting. He doesn't give up initially because he doesn't want to let loose your Sam down. He wants to be a role model for his son. He wants to exemplify the values of dedication and hard work. Uh, Lucy notices that he's far more motivated than he ever was before the infection. Uh, before losing his limbs, I guess he used to uh, drink a ton, drink a vast amounts of alcohol in the family pubs, enough that he, that he thought he was becoming an alcoholic. He would just drink beers all day, kind of every day for too many days. Uh, starts thinking that, you know, started thinking that he was getting lost within the alcohol and it was affecting his, you know, life and relationships and business. Felt like it was, that was straining his marriage. And then after his surgery, even though he has more reason, you know, you would think to drink than ever, barely drinks at all now, just loses interest. Becomes keenly aware of what really matters in life. After nearly two years of rehab, uh, he's become adept enough with his with his arms that he's able to uh, help Sam get ready for his first day of kindergarten. Still struggling with the legs. Uh, after Sam goes back to school, he, he you know keeps trying with the legs. He wants to increase his mobility. Wants to actually truly be able to walk with these uh, with these new more advanced prosthetic legs he's been given, but they um, they still don't work. Uh, you know, he, 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 he will walk, you know, kind of start to walk and then, and then, you know, just fall to the ground during therapy. Um, he figures out that basically he, he needs a even more advanced pair of legs to really have a chance at having these be, you know, functional, but he can't afford them. He can't afford the correct knee joint that's uh, just been invented to kind of, uh, make all this work. Doesn't see any point in staying with the therapy just to have it not work anyway. He comes home in a dark place and now he's been working for years. He can't get the legs he longed for. He worries that he'll never be able to go for a walk with his son. Starts throwing away a bunch of his old clothes, depressing at first, but then freeing. He realizes he doesn't need his old clothes to be, he doesn't need to be his old self again. He realizes his family loves him just the way he is, whether he can walk or not. He doesn't need prosthetics to feel complete. Uh, a sense of peace falls over him. He actually feels better about his life than he ever did before the infection. He appreciates what he has truly, deeply. Uh, a girlfriend has stood by him through all of this. A son who loves him. He's not drunk. You know, uh, not drinking all the time. Uh, 21 months after he falls ill, almost two years, his family then receives some really incredible news. After he's kind of made peace with his new situation, uh, after he's realized he doesn't, you know, need legs to be whole, he gets them anyway. Friends and family find a private trust organizer who leads fundraising to get um, the, the legs he needed. They raise enough money for the most advanced prosthetic legs available that do allow him to walk now. They also pay for a modified bicycle he can ride, a bike he can ride with the family, uh, Alex gives speeches to help raise money, uh, sharing his story with others. Two years after first getting sick, he's able to walk from the kitchen to the living room, surprises his son, Sam. Uh, he just gets better and better all the time now, continuing to become more independent. He takes on this, uh, he has this mindset now, of if you want something, get it. In the past few years, he's now gone skydiving. He's kayaked hundreds of miles. He's, he's hand cycled his new bike all over the place. He wants to cycle it up Ethiopia's tallest mountain in the very near future. Uh, he's back at work. He's now an interior designer. His son is no longer scared of his appearance. Earlier this year, uh, he actually became the first person to have a microchip embedded in their body. He has a microchip inside to the stump of his left arm. Uh, it's, it's, it's the same technology that, that pet microchips have. Actually, both our pets, uh, Penny and Ginger, both have microchips in them to find them when they're lost. 
Uh, this chip enables Alex to like open the front door. Like the door senses the chip inside of him, knows it's him, pops the door open. His car door works the same. He can he can he can drive now with uh you know all his equipment. Um, this chip also contains his medical records. Cases ever rushed to a hospital uh, contains a passport inside of it that can be scanned. You know, like uh, through the right equipment. He hopes, uh, you know, soon he'll be able to use it to like buy, you know, the various items at stores, pay for meals, travel, you know, train tickets, all that stuff. Be more independent. And in the most recent quote I could find about him, this is what he had to say about the state of his life. He says, "I wouldn't go back to my old life. I was just coasting. Then I got ill. Sure, I lost my limbs, but I had reason to live, which is." My wife, Lucy, and my son, Sam. All the amazing stuff that I do, like getting a microchip, would have never happened. Very similar uh, perspective that uh, Melvika has, you know? Remember she said, uh, what, disability lies in the eyes of the observer? Uh, Alex is a fighter just like her, and I love that they both seem to genuinely enjoy their lives more now after so much was taken from them. Does that inspire you? Also, uh, uh, he, he does. Um, he is getting married. He finally said yes. Uh, he and Lucy, I think they recently got married. There was no recent articles to say. The last, the most recent article said they were engaged. Uh, after all that, I believe they uh, they they do get married. Uh, love it. Hail Nimrod. And and now, just like with Malvika, let, let's hear a little bit from Alex himself uh, before we move forward. This is from a video uh, uploaded to YouTube on June 22nd, earlier this year. Uh, Alex also sometimes works as a motivational speaker. And this is uh, a little taste of one of the talks he gives. Um, my... Bizarre story starts about three years ago now. Um, I was a very easygoing, laid-back guy. Never got stressed. I was living a very nice life. My partner and I, we had two pubs. I was in charge of one, and she was in charge of the other. And I was also the stay-at-home dad for my little boy. Once you work out the why, you will endure anyhow. Wow. And my why is my little boy, Sam, and Lucy, my fiance. That's why I do what I do, why I want to push the limits for a quad amp, why I want to kayak, why mm. I want to break the boundaries of disability, to make people see that we can do great, great stuff, achieve great things. The how is enduring my life as a quad amputee. But please, it is mm. not a bad life. I live an incredible life, a life that I'm incredibly happy to be living. Wow. Thank you for listening to me today. I live an incredible life, a life I'm incredibly happy to be living. How many of you listening can honestly say those words now? I hope all of you. If you can't, maybe reflect on the two stories we've shared today. You know, if, if they can make a happy life out of the hand they've been dealt, why can't you? You know, what could you do that you haven't done already to, to find meaning, to find hope? Inspiring stuff. Uh, now, let's see if the idiots of the internet can take a big old dumb shit on all this inspiration. Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Idiots of the internet. For today's video, I picked the extraordinary case of Alex Lewis, medical miracle, medical miracle documentary, which is also one of you know uh, the episode sources for today. Uh, published only back on June 14th by Real Stories, it already has over 11 million views, almost three, 30,000 comments. Excuse me, 30,000, and, and I braced for the worst, but nope. So much love in this comment thread. So much good. 
Uh, I'm going to read the top 10 comments posted to give a true feel for the tone of the threat. First comment by Flair, user Flair, says, If I went through this, I would just want to die. This man is super strong. So many props to you. Mm-hmm. Not a common reaction. Or, I mean, not an uncommon reaction, excuse me, I think, to, to think that. You know, like, oh, my gosh, just just kill me already. But no, man, not only is he glad to be alive, he, he's happier with his life now. Incredible. Uh, user Chicky, Cheeky Breaky Bree posts, God bless him and his family. User Pixie posts, wow, his wife really loves him. This is true love. Uh, Anna Montez posts, imagine waking up without legs, arms, and lips. He's so strong. God bless him. Brianna Dills posts, this man has a special spot in heaven waiting for him. Jen F posts, God forgive me for ever complaining about my life. No shit. Uh, Diana B posts, he actually still looks incredibly handsome. Cowboy Clorox posts, I'm just really glad he can still talk. Rose Park posts, why do all why do always such things happen to such nice people? Yeah, why do, why do things like that happen to people? Uh, and then Luan TV posts, God, please forgive me for complaining about my life. After I watch this, I feel that I'm the luckiest person in the entire world. Nothing but love. It's refreshing, isn't it? I was thinking about scrolling down further to, uh, to find some hate, but no, no, no. Not today. Not today. This is the holidays. I'm going to leave this one feeling good on today's not idiotic at all idiots of the internet. Well, I hope this suck has you feeling good, Meat Sacks. Hope you're enjoying a nice holiday week with your families, biological or chosen. If not, I hope you get some cheer out of this. Uh, you know, if, if you need if you need more, a little more uh, holiday spirit, if you're feeling lonely, hit up the Cult of the Curious private Facebook group. And that's just not self-promotion of mine. It's just become it's become a big family. I, I personally don't really get in there much. But uh, Lindsay here, Queen, Queen of the Suck, uh, Reverend Dr. Joe, they're checking out Harmony, Vela Camp, a lot of others. And, and the stories I hear are just uh, really, really uh, inspire me to, to try to grow this community because a lot of love is becoming a big fan. A lot of people helping each other out, making each other feel good. Uh, I hope like Alex and uh, Malvika, link to that in the episode description if you need to easily find it. Uh, I hope like Alex and Malvika, you're able to look at your life in, in a way that gives it a, it a bunch of meaning. You know, so much life really, I do think is attitude. And I know that's easier said than done. I have days where if someone was telling me this, I'd be like, shut the fuck up, dude. But it is true. You know, I, I used to live near Montana Avenue in Santa Monica. Montana Montana Ave, like from the beach to about 20th Avenue, is a little string of shops, cafes, Pilates studios, you know, uh, juice shops, uh, you know, yoga places, restaurants, nice restaurants, uh, surrounded by some of the most expensive real estate in the United States. It's, it's close to where O.J. Simpson used to live in Brentwood, uh, mansions galore. And, and, and if you go to a Starbucks or coffee bean on that little stretch and you sit outside, you, you're going to watch millionaire after millionaire walk by, wealthy, like extremely beautiful people. A-list actors and actresses, producers, tech millionaires, leaders and people with new trainers or trainers, nutritionists, life coaches, you know, this, this like creme de la creme, you know, the upper crust. They're in great shape. They're leaders of industry. You know, they're, they're wearing designer clothes. They're eating the best food, driving six-figure cars, you know, uh, you know, living in... Seven, what is it? I'm trying to think of eight, eight figure man, mansions, balances. And 90% of the time, at least in my observation, these people looked completely fucking miserable. Miserable. They have everything. And, uh, you know, I guess except for satisfaction and, and happiness. What is the point of that? Why aren't they happy? I, I bet in most cases because they, they're always chasing more, that monster of more. They're always chasing that next thing. You know, and it's good to be ambitious. You know, it's fun to be ambitious. But if that's where your happiness truly lies, mm, I don't know. 
I don't know. You're never going to be happy then. They always chase that next workout, next job, next spouse, next house, next car. They can't see what they already have. What if they lost all their limbs? Would it break them or would it transform them into something more, you know, like Alex and Malvika, you know, almost like a, like a butterfly transformation, you know? It's like, it's like those two went into a cocoon, you know? And it's like a, it's like a, it's like a reverse butterfly. It's like they came out more like a, like a larva, but a happy larva, you know? I mean, what if you could appreciate the world, though, without having to lose your limbs oh, or your face? You know, it's a choice, I guess, how we see the world around us. You know, I, I used to live in a tiny apartment above a used uh, bookstore cafe in Millwood, Washington. And the building next door was an assisted living, uh, you know, uh, government housing building, people, people in government assistance, people trying to get back on their feet, or just to be honest, like I am on this show, uh, you know, people uh, on the outside for, for a bit in between jail stretches. Uh, people you wouldn't want to let your kids walk past alone. If you have any common sense, fair amount of cop cars, uh, paying that building, a lot of visits. Uh, I used to feel bad for whoever had to live there. Um, if they were just, you know, struggling, but there was this one couple who did live there that didn't want my or anyone else's pity. Uh, they weren't trying to get back on their feet. They were happy as hell to live there. Uh, you know, they were never in trouble. Joe and Mona, two 50 ish year old people been married for years, both had down syndrome and they, they needed a little help. You know, they get some government assistance. They, 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 weren't, they weren't able to work, but they could take care of each other beautifully. They got by without having to, uh, to sh- anybody, you know, having to shop for them or anybody else having to make their meals. And they really, really loved each other. And they would go to that little used bookstore kind of coffee shop, you know, all the time, tease each other, always holding hands, always quick to laugh, smiling all the time. Joe especially adored Mona. Talked about her whenever she wasn't there. Stared at her the way that we all want someone to stare at us. The happiest people I'd ever seen. And, and, and they had what, what I, you know, and most of the world consider to be so little, you know, they're, they're, they're getting by on, you know, paycheck to paycheck, you know, government assistance, happiest people I've ever seen. Uh, they loved their lives, loved their lives. Never heard either one of them ever complain about a single damn thing in the two years I was around them. Had nothing, but they had everything. They chose to be happy with what they had. So simple, so life transforming if you can pull it off. I mean, I mean, sadly, two years after I met him, somebody robbed him. Uh, they had a dog that somebody killed, and then uh, and then the building was set on fire. And I guess that they were trapped inside. And that's a tough, it's a tough way to go out. You know, they never caught who did it. And that's uh, not a fun ending to the story. And um, you know, I made up that last part. I made up the last part. I don't know what happened to him. I think they're fine. But ha- but you feel fucking sad for a second, didn't you? You felt a little angry, right? You're upset, like no, why are these good people? They're so happy. Exactly. You know, maybe I opened up your heart a little bit. Maybe if you were upset there, okay, then I feel like I did my job this suck. Uh, no, they were great, man. I, I hope you all can love someone like Joe loved Mona. I hope you all have someone love you that way. Hope you can all laugh and play like Joe and Mona did uh, this holiday season. Merry Christmas. Happy holidays, you beautiful bastards. Time for today's top five takeaways. Time suck. Top five takeaways. Number one, on May 26, 2002, Malvika Ayer was a 13-year-old girl trying to fix a pocket on a pair of jeans. And then the object she'd found in her garage to push glue onto those jeans uh, was a live grenade. A live grenade, uh, you know, dropped, uh, sent there by a random accident. A fire at a munitions depot. It launched into the garage. And that grenade blew off both her hands, turned her legs into a mangled mass of blood and bone. And now she's a model, motivational speaker, has a PhD, all because she chose to fight instead of give up. Number two, Malvika was hospitalized for 18 months following the explosion, uh, bedridden for another six months. She missed two full years of school, and then the former average student studied her ass off for three months, crushed some exams, put her back on track for college, led her to meeting the president of India. She got her PhD, phenomenal Hail Nimrod. 
November of uh, 2003, number three, number three, November 2013, a UK pub owner, Alex Lewis, went to the hospital with a terrible bacterial infection that ended up taking both his arms and legs and part of his face. He also decided to fight and figured out how to use prosthetic arms, prosthetic legs, had skin from his shoulder, formed into lips, and now works as a happy interior designer with a loving family, works as a motivational speaker. Number four, Alex Lewis is the rare man who got toxic shock syndrome. Toxic shock syndrome can affect anyone, including men, children, you know, uh, women, whether they're uh, menstruating or not. It's not just women who have left in tampons for too long. Although that does increase the very, very, very small odds that you could get it. If you feel disorientated and you get a rash resembling a bad sunburn, if you suddenly have terrible headache and bloodshot eyes and redness around your face and neck, get to the ER. If you do have it, the sooner you get there, the sooner the doctors can begin to treat it, the better your odds of surviving with minimal tissue loss. And number five, new info, Jim Henson, the creator of the Muppets, that man also died of toxic shock syndrome. Uh, the man who created like Kermit the Frog, Ms. Piggy, you know, Sesame Street, the animal, the Swedish chef. The guy got one, two enemies, or two enemies, two Emmys. He sold his company to Disney for $150 million, and then he died at the age of 54 from a bacterial infection uh, that led to toxic shock syndrome. On May 4th, 1990, uh, Henson made his last appearance with Kermit on the Arsenio Hall show, told people he was tired, had a sore throat that uh, that day. Uh, on, then on May 13th, you know, he doesn't go to the doctor for those uh, for those nine days. He returns to New York, cancels his work schedule. He's too sick to go to work. On, on May 15th, 2 a.m., he becomes very short of breath, coughs up some blood, tells his wife, Jane, that he feels like dying. She tells him to go to the hospital. Still doesn't want to go. Doesn't want to doesn't bother people. Changed his mind. A couple hours later, he's admitted to New York Hospital at 4 a.m. Soon after admission, he stops breathing. is placed on a ventilator. And then on May 16th, he dies from toxic shock syndrome. He was only 54 years old. You start feeling sick. Don't fuck around, Mead Sachs. Insurance or not. Get to urgent care at the very least. Big medical bill is better than a funeral bill. Don't let that uh, ball boil, uh, boil. Go unchecked. Don't have a ball in your ball or anything else. All right. Time suck. Top five takeaways. Tragedy and triumph. The inspiring tales of Alex Lewis, Malvika Ayer, been sucked. You can't always dramatically change the circumstances of your life, but you can choose how to view the circumstances of your life. Again, easier said than done, I know, but they did it. You can do it. Uh, big thanks, as always, to the Time Suck team, uh, the high priestess of the Suck Harmony Velocamp, Jesse, guardian of Grammar Dobner, Reverend Dr. Joe Paisley, Time Suck high priest Alex Do- Dugan. I almost called him Dober. Uh, that's weird. Uh, the guys at Bit Elixir, Danger Brain, Space Lizards, Merch Wizards, Axes, Apparel. Uh, we got so much fun stuff in the store, man. So many good things. Can't Prayer candles. Maybe, maybe, maybe that'll increase your odds of success in life. Get some prayer candles. Get those little stocking stuff for scent. Challenge coins, beer glasses, coffee tumblers, enamel pins. So many things. And huge thanks, of course, to Queen of the Suck, Lindsay Cummins. Uh, huge thanks to the Lily Twins, Reba, Sarah. Hammers of knowledge. Would have never found out about Malvika had it not been for them. Uh, if you haven't already got in there, give that cult of curious private Facebook a go. Over 5,000 kick-ass members in the group. Uh, also, you can try out Time Sucks Discord channel for even more interaction with cult, cult members, yeah, fellow cult members. Uh, link to both in the episode description. Next week, uh, different kind of episode, a, little bit, uh, a bit more tragedy and triumph. Two more tales, two more tales of overcoming adversity. Then also a recap, year-end review 
Uh, what's going on behind the scenes with Time Suck in 2018? Uh, what are the plans for 2019? We've got big dreams. I hope you take a listen. I thank you so much for being part of this journey. Uh, and then, you know, to kick off 2019, back to, back to mayhem, history, mystery, murder, that kind of stuff. Time now for some Time Sucker updates. Updates. Get your Time Sucker updates. Personal alphabet murder uh, update from a Time Sucker who did not ask to remain anonymous, but due to the personal nature of this message, I'm going to go with a, uh, a first name only on this one. Time Sucker David, beautiful meat sack, writes, Dear Suckmaster Daniel Cummins the third Esquire. I just wanted to write you to tell you that you did another great job in the Alphabet Killer episode. It was a little rough for me with the whole kids being molested and stuff, mostly because when I was between three and four years old, I was molested by a guy my mom was dating at the time. I had nightmares about it for years, haunted me for a very long time. I am now 32 years old, finally free of the grasp that event held on me. I wrote a paper in developmental psychology. Might not be from Gonzaga, but I digress. Uh, The paper was about how a traumatic event such as molestation can have Uh, the effect it can have on the brain uh, of adults. We all know how this event can lead to those people who were abused becoming abusers themselves. However, money studies show that's not always the case. Uh, Kids who are abused uh, do not tend to sexually abuse children when they get older. However, the abused are far more likely to abuse drugs and alcohol, which is almost always mentioned. What is not mentioned generally is that the abused suffer greater self-image problems, their romantic relationships suffer. I always thought I was only good for one thing, sex. I know now that's not true. The girls ended up believing uh, that's all I wanted them for and my relationships failed. The last failed relationship, I believed her to be the one and it crushed me when it ended. That's when I sought counseling and I found out between counseling and this paper that as a child, uh, you know, experienced a traumatic event, you know, it, it can damage your prefront, prefrontal cortex, which is where your impulse control is in your brain. And that, uh, that can give you, you know, the reason to seek drugs, alcohol, or sex. If anyone has been sexually abused as a child, please seek help. Just know you are better than what has happened to you in the past. Do not lead down a destructive path because of it. There is hope. I am an example of that. I really hope you read this during a podcast update, Dan. I think many people try to tough it out, and I think it does, and they think it doesn't bother them, but it does. Uh, P.S. I attached photos I thought you might have found interesting. It was uh, the day the Mob Barker gang robbed a bank in my hometown of Beloit, Wisconsin. We are literally right on the Wisconsin-Illinois border. It would have taken them less than two minutes to cross the border from this bank. Also, pictures of the women who were used as human shields. Please feel free to post them on Instagram and Facebook. Oh, okay. I'll, uh, I'll try and remember my best to uh, post that on social media. Love the pictures, David. And, and thank you for sharing your story. Thank you for sharing that message. Yeah, get, get help. If, that, if that's happened, if you've been molested or raped, Truly know to the depth of your core, that's just not your fault. Uh, it doesn't define you. Uh, you're so, so much more, more than that. Uh, your potential uh, and beauty wrapped up in some skin. All right? Remember that. Uh, thank you, thank you, thank you. Uh, beautiful dad shout out from another beautiful bastard of a sucker, uh, Mara Gwenther. Mara writes, dearest teacher, officer, doctor, Mr. Sucker, my name is Mara. Mara like the Star Wars character. If you don't mind, can you please give a shout out to my dad, Mark Gwenther. Uh, he is an actual Superman. I would say he's the number one best father ever in the world, but I know you are a father, and I know I shouldn't call someone a number two when I ask for something. Uh, I'll take number two in this uh, context. In all seriousness, my dad and I have been through a lot in the past two years. Not once has he complained. Even when both my dog and I moved in, even when I uh, <laughs> bought the wrong size of curtains three times, most of all, he doesn't complain when I forget to pick up the mail. Also, uh, uh, every, oh, which is every single day. 
He puts on an extremely brave face no matter what and does his very best at everything. And he is honestly one of the hardest workers I know. Get this. He even helps his 18-year-old senior and high school daughter with her homework. He was literally my math teacher in middle school. When I rant, all he does is listen. He doesn't try to solve my problems or give me unsolicited advice. Honestly, I could go on and on and on. But the bottom line is he is an amazing father. And I'm so grateful for him every damn day. Now, you may be asking, but Mara, doesn't he eat your yogurt without asking? Yeah, he does. And sometimes when I take naps, he leaves without telling me. And I decide that someone broke into the apartment and abducted him. Almost every time he's actually at the gym. Nonetheless, I do not have enough words to describe the love and appreciation I have for him. Please share this with the world. He deserves it. Your loyal minion, Mark Winter. Man, beautiful update. Yeah. Well, way to be a great dad. Mark, appreciate it, man. The world needs more good dads. Uh, you know, I don't come across sounding like uh, sexist, but, you know, you hear a lot more uh, stories of dad abandoning the family than you do mom abandoning the family. I know they're out there, but I would, I would bet my life statistically uh, the world needs more good dads than it needs more good moms. So thanks for being a good dad. Thanks for uh, teaching your daughter what a good man looks like. That's going to help her so much later in life. Thanks uh, thanks for being a great sucker, Ma. Now, an intense as fuck update from new sucker Steve Queen. Steve writes, I recently started listening after I heard you on the Riz show in St. Louis. Uh, and thank you again, Rizzuto uh, listeners, for popping over here. I've been trying to catch up an episode at a time. Last night, I got carjacked while listening to the BTK episode. I had just started my car, hit play on my phone. Some guy knocked on my window with a gun. I refused to get out. We fought over the door, and he fired a shot. Fortunately, he missed, and I surrendered the vehicle. Once I wrapped up with the cops and made it back to my family, I continued to listen to the episode. Your show is entertaining, and I was bummed. Some jerk tried to shoot me and interrupted finishing it. Keep up the good work. Holy shit. That's intense, man, and I believe that story absolutely. I don't want—I don't want to denigrate St. Louis, but St. Louis has some of the sketchiest fucking neighborhoods in our entire nation. <laughs> like for real, like St. Louis has neighborhoods where, like, do not—I mean, it, like, many people will tell you, don't get out of your car, don't go in the neighborhood first off. But if you're in this neighborhood, don't get out of your car, don't stop at red lights, don't look anyone in the eye. Yeah, man, glad you're safe. Glad you are safe. Wow. Uh, now, a beautiful pay-it-forward message from super sucker Kayla Coleman. Kayla writes, Hi, Dan. First of all, I want to say that I'm a huge fan of you and your comedy. I've been a hardcore sucker for over a year now. Ah, hail Nimrod. Uh, this morning on my commute, I was listening to your Alphabet Murder episode in which you mentioned the bystander effect. This is something I was previously familiar with, but it was nice to have a recap. Fast forward to my commute home today. I was exiting off the highway, and on the corner was a middle-aged panhandler. I'm a person who always wants to give to panhandlers. My heart just goes out to them. Who knows what awful shit they had, go, had to go through in their lives. That's, that's fair. But I rarely carry cash. I remember that I had an apple in my purse left over from lunch. I rolled down my window, held it out, and said, I'm sorry I don't have any cash. Would you like this apple? He accepted, said, thank you, God bless, and Merry Christmas. I rolled my window back and was waiting for the light to change when I noticed the driver of the car behind me rolled down their window and offered the man some money. Made me choke up a little bit. I don't think, uh, oh, and then the car behind that car did the same thing. Made me smile. I don't think either of the other two drivers would have offered the man anything had I not done so first. Bystander effect broken. While it's easy to be apathetic to the panhandlers on your street corners, I want to encourage you and other time suckers to spare some change or some food to help them out whenever possible. Anyway, I wanted to share that story with you. Doing good in the name of the suck. Thank you for everything you do for this amazing podcast and for creating the cult of curious mother suckers. Sincerely, Kayla. Bravo, Kayla. I love it. I love it. I love it. You guys are so fucking good. 
I was just on a, a phone call with Access Apparel just yesterday, and uh, and Kate. I'm gonna, I'm gonna throw I'm gonna throw Kate under the under the bus in a good way right now. Kate started she started you know choking up on the call because she was just talking about how nice it is to work with so much so many caring people. Like her and Logan are very invested in the show, and uh, and and I just uh, man I appreciate it so much. Thank you for doing some good. Thank you for for making the world a little bit better place, Kayla. Uh, okay. Little Harriet motherfucking Tubman shout out now coming in from Meat Sack Supreme Jody Johns. Jody writes, hey, master motherfucker, just listen to the Harriet motherfucking Tubman sucking dude. You nailed it. God damn it. I knew you could do it. I knew you could suck some sweet freedom loving chocolate. I know you're probably going to get some dumbass emails and trolls saying you're insensitive or you disrespected such a legendary figure for blacks, blah, blah, blah. But I am telling you as a hundred percent black woman that you did a fucking awesome ass job. And if anyone else has something to say, they can suck my left nut on Monday and Wednesday between 3 and 5 p.m. depending on traffic. Keep sucking, motherfucker, and air banjo your heart out. You earned that shit. Ah, thank you, Jody. Uh, that is beautiful. You know, I, I, uh, I'm I, so glad I did that episode. It was so, uh, so, so nice. Another inspiring one. So nice to learn so much about such an amazing meat sack. Wow, man. Some people, it's just, it just uh, leaves me in awe of just the strength of their spirit, just how much they're able to pump out in the world. It's incredible how much good. Woo. Uh, and finally, some corrections coming in from Southern Sucker, Jason from Atlanta. Jason writes, a couple of corrections that I have to send your way. In the Harriet motherfucking tub and suck, you pointed out that no women, no women, excuse me, have been on U.S. currency. That's actually not true on two counts. Uh, the U.S. silver dollar coins routinely featured Lady, Lady Liberty on them before Eisenhower. Okay. Female figure. Okay. I don't know, Lady Liberty was a real woman, but yeah, okay, I see what you're saying. And then number two, the the, the dollar coin had, okay, Susan, badass bitch, uh, Anthony on it. That's true. That's true. I have seen the Susan B. Uh, B. Anthony uh, coins. Uh, my my grandpa used to collect coins, and, uh, and, be, and and she was changed out for Sacagawea. Okay. Uh, and there were $10 U.S. Mint issued coins of, of some of the first, some first spouses. All right, so historically, there have been examples. Th- thank you. I, I yeah, I did not think of that. Uh, also, uh, in the in in the New World Order, suck. You did a Hulk Hogan promo speech, but you got some things mixed up. Go fucking figure. Uh, having grown up watching wrestling, pronounced wrestling, the trademark woo actually belonged to Rick Motherfucking Flair. Very different than Hulk Hogan. Hope to see you in Atlanta this year. I had a kidney stone last time you were here. Hill Nimrod, Jason in Atlanta. Okay, all right. Now, to, in my defense. In my defense, I did know that Ray, the, the nature boy, Ric Flair, I did know that he wooed. I, I knew that he was a secret. I thought for sure that Hulk Hogan also wooed. And uh, and you sent me into a wormhole on the internet of looking at way too many Hulk Hogan videos. I just wanted I just wanted to hear one woo, but I stand corrected. He didn't woo. He didn't woo one time. But it is so fun to do, and I do like combining it with the Hulk Hogan voice as if he did woo. So, uh, so I'm going to leave the updates with uh, my impersonation of Hulk Hogan if he, in fact, wooed. What are you going to do, brother, when Hulkamania comes for you? Woo! Next time, suckers. I needed that. We all did. Thanks for tuning in, even during the holidays, suckers. Don't lose any limbs this week, but if you do, know that life can be even better than it was before. Hail Nimrod. Happy holidays. And you know what? How about you keep on sucking? <laughs>